0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Amen. Thank you so much. Beloved in Christ, you know, today's the last Sunday that we greet each other with that greeting. Not the last day, but the last Sunday during this season of celebrating the resurrection in which we greet each other with Christ is risen I was thinking about that you know what am I going to do with myself when I don't have that greeting who am I going to be you. I'm going to be me thank you but crying out to one another and proclaiming the resurrection of our Lord has been such a a grace this season such a Consolation, such an incredible and transcendent joy. Thank you for continuing to celebrate the glory of our risen Lord with me during this holy season. And please join me if you can on Tuesday evening. We'll have the services for the leave taking of Pascha. We'll have the, the Orthros and the Divine Liturgy, just like we did on. Pasco morning without the procession around the building, but we have all of the same hymns and we punctuate this season by having that service one more time. I'm holding a little gospel book with the resurrected Lord today. This is the little the little gospel book I've been having you venerate at the end of the services. And, uh, and today we have a beautiful gospel reading to reflect on. In today's gospel, we continue to serve as witnesses to the signs and miracles of our Savior. We continue to bear witness to proof of his uniqueness among men, his authority over nature. No man has ever exercised authority over nature in the way that Christ did, and no man ever will. Because he alone is the God-man. We witness his accomplishment of that which has never been done before, and the drama of this incredible event plays out. We see the blind and incredulous Pharisees Unwilling to believe in the authority of this one whose authority would be greater than theirs. Always threatened by the authority that's greater than theirs. Driven, governed by insecurity and uncertainty and lack of faith. And they're brought to shame by, at the end of the reading, that incredible dialogue between the man who had been Given his sight and the Pharisees, it's like they're getting them to change his story. Okay, I never was really blind. I just was really good at pretending. From the day I was born, I decided I was going to, um, you know, try to get some sympathy. So pretend like I couldn't see—that's really what happened. They would have believed that more than they would have wanted to believe that he had been given his sight when born blind. And they're brought to shame by him. And what, what can they do? The, the best they can do is kick him out. They didn't get their way. Shut the door on him. This man, blind from birth, offering his witness, Why this is a marvel, he said. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Since, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened his eyes, the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. What a splendid demonstration of honesty. Honesty and simplicity proving to be the very groundwork for an authentic witness to the manifestation of God on earth. Honesty and simplicity bearing witness to the coming down of God in the person of Jesus Christ. The miracle of the restoration of physical sight in the man from this story And subsequently, his simple willingness to see who Christ really is, serves as a powerful foil to the opposing Pharisees who had possessed the faculty of physical sight all along, yet consigned themselves to the state of spiritual blindness by refusing to believe that any of this could be real. I believe that these men knew what it would mean to admit that someone could perform such a miracle on such a day as the Sabbath, that this one would have to be the transcendent one, even God, the Messiah. To accept that a man could do what only God could do would be to admit that the divinity itself worked in this person. To accept humiliation and soften their hearts even a little would mean to follow this revelation through to its conclusion that this man, this son of man, as he called himself, is also the son of God. While the messianic theme is the overarching one in this story, this theme that Christ is God, that he is the light of the world who grants true vision, as in the prologue to the Gospel of John, also embedded this in this story is a significant anthropological question. A question about what it means to be human. And what it means to be in the human condition. This question was asked by the disciples, answered by Jesus, and later opposed by the Pharisees. The disciples inquired, Rabbi who sinned who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind whose fault is it it's an honest question because we know that sin and death with sin came death and corruption death and corruption are the result of sin so but sin didn't just happen spontaneously it came as a result of the act of man, the opposition of the will of man to the will of God. So logically, there had to be someone who is culpable for this man's condition, be it himself somehow, which would be absurd since he was blind from birth, or his parents. The absurdity of the former would lead one to the conclusion of the latter. It must have been the sin of the parents that caused the blindness of the son. Even in the hymns for great vespers, we heard these poetic words. To himself did the blind man think and say, Is it, I wonder, for the sin of my parents that I was born without eyes? Have I become an example because of the faithlessness of the Gentiles? I cease not from asking, When is the night? And when is the day? My feet have no more strength from the impact of the stones, For I have never seen the sun shining. Nor have I seen my creator in any form whatsoever. Albeit I beseech thee, O Christ God, to look upon me and have mercy upon me. You may have been caught by that that word, Is it for the sin of my parents that I was born without eyes? We heard during the Orthros reading, for today, that among the fathers is taught that not only was he born blind, but he was born without eyes. And when Christ made with clay, with his spit and the dirt, he actually formed eyes for the man and placed them into his eye sockets. To the perplexity of both the disciples, and it seems to the man himself, Jesus proclaims these words. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night comes when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And that's what I want to focus on today. This response that the works of God might be made manifest in him. First, though, what is the cause of disorder within the human person? The answer that we give is it's always sin somehow. For to sin is to act in a manner contrary to our nature, in opposition to our nature, and therefore to reap the consequences of that opposition. And that's what we call sin and corruption in the world. That affects all of us. It's like an illness which, with which we're all stricken. We wouldn't say that we're automatically born guilty of sin. That's a Western teaching. The Orthodox Church has always held, though, that we are born into the, to a world in which we are subject to corruption. And so we experience that reality within ourselves, even from our childhood. Yet in this story, the Lord himself clearly states that the condition of this man born blind is not something that we can blame on anyone in particular, but rather this blindness, undoubtedly the byproduct of a fallen world, was allowed by God in order that God's goodness might be revealed in him. The reality represented here by the loss of sight is really one that we can all identify with. He had something wrong with him physically, Something wrong within us might be physical, it might be psychological, it might be some kind of spiritual, but nonetheless, we're all subject to some kind of human malady. We're all subject to these maladies, and some may even be the result of the sins of our parents. But I see that this is really beside the point. The point in identifying the state of brokenness and imperfection is to draw our attention to the condition of humanity, a condition which we all experience. And placing blame identifies a cause, but it does not result in a solution. In fact, it results in the opposite. Placing the blame essentially allows the person to identify himself as a victim to sin, and as one subjected to sin and its consequences. And each of us, as the blind man, might ask, in identifying with with him somehow, and identifying ourselves as subject to this corruption and the reality of human malady, difficulty, and sin, we might ask, how could I have any role? In the grand scheme of God's narrative, his story, his providence being worked out in the midst of this world, especially in pain and imperfect and suffering as I am. Sure, this story is a great one, but I haven't had anything like that quite happen to me. How can I? Why? Why am I struggling in whatever way I may be? And then we need to hear these words when we're asking God, how could you allow something like this to happen to me? And if you're here, beloved in Christ, if you're here, hearing these words, and you're hearing the proclamation of the gospel, and you're hearing the good news of the risen Lord, and you're hearing the witness of the hope that we have in Christ and Christ alone, then the words that were given to the blind or to the disciples regarding the blind man, are the words that are being spoken to you and me as well today. That the works of God might be made manifest. That's why we're allowed to endure anything. That the works of God might be made manifest. In the case of the man in the story, he was permitted to be blind from birth. Surely it was not God's will that anyone would be subject to corruption and death, illness and discomfort. But he cooperates with us in our freedom, even allowing us to fall and to experience fallenness. And he allows us to cooperate with him in our freedom. This is the mystery of God's providence in the midst of a fallen world. We talked about two weeks ago on the Sunday of the paralytic, this synergy, we enter into the work that God is doing. We become participants in what He is doing in our life, by, not by telling Him what to do, but by trusting in Him. He allows, he allows us to experience the results and consequence of sin. Not even to punish us, but as with the blind man, that the works of God might be made manifest. The conclusion for the man in this story was that he was granted sight, And as the result, he bore witness to Christ and even worshipped him, it says in the gospel. He well could have said, thanks, but why did you let this happen to begin with? Or, you know, not only was I blind for much of my life, but after I was healed, I was alienated from my people and rejected by them. But trusting in God's providence, he found true peace, true vision. Yes, a miracle took place, but even greater was the miracle of his coming to faith. That's always the greatest miracle. Sometimes we need to close our eyes in order to see. The greater miracle is coming to faith in the God man and allowing oneself to fall within the scheme of God's providence. Either we accept or we reject we accept or we reject that while much is out of our control, it all falls within the scheme of God's providence. We either accept this or we reject it. That all that happens falls within the scheme of God's providence in our lives. This is the source of our true peace. And you know what? This is our greatest source of understanding. Not knowing. By whose sin am I... Allowed to endure such affliction. But that, what I'm going through, falls within the scheme of God's perfect providence. Whether we're granted healing from our ailments or not, we must ask from ourselves, from where I am now in the condition that I am in, how might the work of God be made manifest in me? Not that ever-famous phrase, not if only things were different, If only circumstances were different for me, then I could really follow God. If only circumstances were different. If I only had different parents. If only I was free from my burdens. What a great deception. We actually become free by means of our burdens when we entrust ourselves to God's providence. Unwavering hope in the midst of trial. Hear this, hear this. Unwavering hope in the midst of trial, meaning I'm having a hard time, but I still really believe in God. I still really believe in Jesus. I still believe that he is in control. Unwavering hope in the midst of trial can serve as the greatest witness to God. The most powerful expression of his glorification and indication of true healing. He he does give us the strength to overcome the passions, our sins and passions. I don't want anyone to think that the acts of sins are somehow justified as falling within the scheme of God's providence, but certainly they're allowed. And for every fall, for every sin, like we read last night in that beautiful letter by St. Joseph the Hesychast, the righteous man, though he fall down 10,000 times, he gets up again. He submits himself to God. According to St. John of Damascus, some of the works of God's providence result from His good pleasure, whereas others He allows to happen. God wills some things and others He permits. Everything that accords with His good pleasure is completely good, whereas things that happen by permission or of many different kinds. God allows someone to fall into misfortunes so that His hidden virtue may be displayed as we see in the case with Job. It wasn't that God hated Job, but He allowed him to fall into misfortune so that the works of God might be made manifest. Sometimes He permits something seemingly inappropriate to happen in order that something greater may be accomplished, as when the salvation of human kind was brought about through the cross. I always think of the martyrs. the martyr, You know the word martyr means witness. We call them witnesses not because they, were, they escaped death, but because they even willingly submitted to death out of their belief in God. I am a Christian, they said, and then they were put to death. And people didn't, oftentimes people didn't say, oh, well they've, They must have been wrong because they didn't avoid death and they died. People were like, oh, what a great miracle that someone would believe in something so much that they would even be willing to die for it. Other times he allows a saintly person to suffer, as did the Apostle Paul, to prevent him from losing his grace and becoming arrogant. Remember St. Paul with that thorn in his side? Whatever affliction it was, God, please remove it. But God did not, because God wanted his strength to be perfected in his weakness, knowing that St. Paul, if he had been convinced of his own strength, he probably would have thought that he didn't need God anymore. One person may be temporarily forsaken in order that another may benefit. Another is abandoned for a while so that God may be glorified, as happened with the man blind from birth. When we are unable to grasp how terrible pride is, God allows us to fall into a sin so that we can understand, so that we may be cured of another hidden passion and be saved. Every fall, every trial, every difficulty is actually a charismatic moment if we allow it to be an opportunity to call upon God and to cry out to Him, Save me. In general, the saints teach that for those who accept them with gratitude, all calamities, St. John of Damascus says, all calamities contribute to their salvation and are to their benefit. The faithful Christian who trusts in God and whose nous, whose spirit, whose consciousness is oriented toward him, benefits from all the misfortunes that befall him. Did you hear that? For the faithful Christian who trusts in God and is oriented to God, he benefits from all the misfortunes that befall him. By contrast, he who does not resolutely bear trouble, endure affliction, and patiently sustain hardship has strayed from the path of divine love and from the purpose of providence, according to St. Maximus the Confessor. We're almost there. As for us then, how should we live faithfully according to God's providence? Well, that's in some way, that's the topic of every single homily ever given. But I find it perfectly summed up in the beautiful words of the Holy Apostle Paul. I go back to them any time I'm enduring any physical suffering, illness myself. And oftentimes, if I'm talking to someone who's dealing with some illness, especially a chronic one, I'm always reminded of these words from the Holy Apostle Paul in his second epistle to the Corinthians. Cling to these words, beloved in Christ, and let them inspire you to endure even temporary afflictions. Do not lose heart Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Another translation says, though outwardly we are wasting away. That's how it feels sometimes. Though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Keep that candle lit within your heart. The flame of love for God and Trust in Him. For our light affliction, he continues, which is our light affliction, which which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So our call is that we... Cling to what is eternal. What is eternal? For the things seen, that is the the temporal condition of us all, is is not what we look to, but we set our eyes direct and direct the entirety of our being to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And whatever may befall, us in our lives we accept as when within the mystery of god's providence through which he is working out our salvation and even through us the salvation of others you know beloved in christ if you strive to trust in him there is nothing there is nothing that can inhibit there's nothing that can get in the way of you drawing near to our lord in fact trials become gifts to us that allow us to realize the unconditional reality of our life in Christ. So let us join the man who received not only physical sight today, but true sight in seeing the face of Jesus and worshiping Him. Let us believe that the works of God might be manifest in our lives. And let us worship Him, our beautiful Savior, Our loving Lord, always, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Christ is risen.